Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. This is Monsters Who Murder, Serial Killer Confessions. With Amanda Howard and Robert McKnight. Hello there and welcome to another episode of Monsters Who Murder. Yes, the serial killer whisperer is in the house. What would we do without her knowledge? Amanda Howard, welcome. Hello, Robert. It's good to be here. And guys, he was singing Summer Loving from Greece before we started today, so Robert's already in a mood. Secrets, Amanda, secrets. What happens off air stays off air. He didn't do that last note, though. I was waiting for it, but he chickened out. <laughs> no, I didn't. I didn't do the hi, hi. Yeah, 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 yeah. Very, very good point. Hey, Amanda, in seriousness, well, this is a big, big case in Australia. We're doing Kaisha Whippet. And this is really a case that shocked, horrified the nation and takes us on a journey of two parents putting the appeal out for help who end up being the killers. That's right, and yeah, we we always expect a mother to be that the, the caring uh, person who would protect the, the child at all costs. But when the child dies at that person's hands, it just it takes it to a different level of evil that we sort of just seem to leave purely for those mothers that kill. Yeah, uh, this is a really big case, and I think it will be really interesting because we've got news reports, we've got undercover vision, and we've got the interrogation, the police interrogation. That's coming up shortly on this edition of Monsters Who Murder. In the meantime, let's get into the news. And the defence team for Rita Mays, a female serial killer, Angel of Death, who killed hospitalised military vets, wants the sentencing delayed as they are claiming COVID is preventing them from meeting with their client. In mid-2020, the serial killer pled guilty to the murders of seven patients and the attempted murder of eight more victims. The prosecution wants seven life sentences. Amanda, the prosecution, though, they're opposing any delays. Yeah, they're sort of trying to say, like, let's get on with it. She's pleaded guilty. She's already in jail. It's not like she's out walking the streets. So really, what else do you need to meet with your client about? You know, we, we know what we want. There, there's no death penalty on the table. It's going to be life sentences regardless. So let's just do this. And so the judge is sort of coming back and saying, well, if you want to delay it, I'll delay it one week. But they want like three months. And, you know, it's just not going to happen. And and what is it with COVID-19 that stops them from meeting with their client, whether it be via Zoom or whether with social distancing? Like, is this a real issue for them? Well, I mean, we're seeing people in the United States that certainly aren't social distancing, they aren't wearing masks and everything, but it seems to be the prisons are trying to control it, though we've seen a lot of outbreaks, we've seen um, yeah. several serial killers die from COVID, so well, COVID-related illnesses, and so it's quite interesting that they then want to cause these delays because of court cases and everything. But we've seen big court cases go ahead. I mean, the Golden State Killer, Joseph D'Angelo, did his in, in a mask and a face shield and everyone was in different rooms and there was mm. Zoom here and Skype there and all of this sort of stuff. So cases can go ahead. But it just seems to be that they sort of want to meet with their clients several more times and everyone else is saying, for what? Like, you, you can do this, you've spoken to her, she, she's pleaded guilty to all these cases. So let's just get it done. And they just try to drag their heels. Yeah, it's interesting. When I first read this story, I thought, oh, maybe it's because they're worried about the death penalty, but you said that's off the table. So, yeah, it, it's, it is. Well, maybe it's just lawyers actually wanting to do the right thing by their client. Yeah, well, I mean, it would be okay if they were saying that they were trying to schedule um, psychiatric appointments or things like that. That would be difficult to do because you can't do that in like a half-hour session. Mm. It does take a lot of time to get through. But it's not that. It's just that the defence team want to meet with a reader just to go through the final bits and pieces. Surely they can do that some other way. Mm. 
All right, well, a Canadian serial killer has died in prison of natural causes. Camille Joseph Clairot killed three people over a two-decade period. Clairot admitted to bludgeoning his first wife to death with a rock in 1990. Her remains were then buried beneath his tomato garden. At the time of his death, Clairot had been serving a life sentence for first-degree murder and two counts of second-degree murder since June 26, 2012. Amanda, I don't know about this guy. Can you tell me a bit more about him? Uh, well, as you said, he is a Canadian serial killer and he is a bluebeard. So these are the sorts of killers that, that kill their female spouses. So a female a bluebeard? Yeah, so um, it's named after Henri uh, Landru, who was the original bluebeard. Um, it's a tale from history as well, but Landru actually killed his wives and so that's sort of been what we've called it like we call the female serial killers who kill their husbands we call them black widows after the black widow spider that that kills its mates after after mating um the bluebeard is the male equivalent so he was a guy who was killing his wives um their children were sort of wondering where their mothers were going and he actually killed two of them and then he also killed a neighbor as well so it, it was more about um the, the financial side of it and he just sort of was a guy who wasn't quite on his rocker so there was issues of him being eccentric and and a bit erratic with his um behavior and his temper so there's sort of a lot behind this case um that sort of didn't come um up until later now this is why Bluebeards and black widows are able to kill for so long because usually the early deaths are considered accidents or mm, that you know mm. something's happened and you know they've they've died of, died of an accidental overdose or a drowning or things like this. I'm actually doing a couple of cases currently on this, um, and so he was one of those that sort of got away with it the first couple of times, and then when uh, his second wife's re- remains were found, well that's when they sort of started to look into him a bit further and sort of find out the first wife died and so there's a lot behind the scenes with this um and then he he killed the last victim a neighbor uh, purely because she'd won a lottery and and was taking trips to disneyland and he sort of wanted that so you know quite interesting yeah absolutely look now to a case we've been following for some time accused serial killer billy chimumi who has already charged with the murders of several elderly people in a North Texas retirement home, is facing a new charge. This new charge is for his alleged 18th murder. The latest case involves the 2016 death of Glenna Day, an 87-year-old woman who lived at the luxury tradition Prestonwood Senior Living Community in far north Dallas. Police said Chimimi posed as a healthcare worker or maintenance man to gain access to his victims. Amanda, you know, we were just talking about delays due to COVID-19. This trial could also be delayed. Yeah, but it seems to be that the investigators are not slowing down in the background. So, you know, we're up to 18th victim. They keep sort of finding the next one and the next one and the next one. And it's quite interesting that they do this because these often come out of hospital investigations in um, their M&M meetings where they look at morbidity and mortality rates and see where there is clusters and things like that. So this has to be like a multi-agency team that's looking into this. And this is another one from 2016. We've had a lot around that time of his victims. And the fact that it it's not even that he's being an angel of death and as a healthcare worker, but also sometimes he's been a maintenance man gaining access to his victims. This is amazing that he has this way to sort of be around these people and, and are, are killing them. To be able to sort of finger him for these sorts of cases when he's not even the direct carer in these facilities, um, it's amazing. And this is why I think it's taking so long. And I think the delay is probably a good thing because they are getting all these cases and they're lining them all up quickly. Mm. Um, well, well, it's not quickly. It's, it's taking quite a while, but they're actually getting case after case after case being given to the agencies to investigate. So, you know, it's good that he hasn't gone to uh, court yet because this means that some of these will be lumped together and will be one court case instead of, oh, we found five, there's a court case for that, we found another five court case for that. So it, it might just sort of put all of these into one case and it could be what, one of the biggest cases we've seen in the United States. But, you know, everyone's talking about D'Angelo, but no-one's talking about Jamimi. Yeah, very good point. All right, it's time for us to take a quick break. On the other side, we will be looking into the death of Keisha Whippart. It's a really interesting case, one that really brought Australia to a standstill in many ways. But don't forget, in the meantime, if you'd like to support the podcast, just go to patreon.com slash MWM Confessions. For as little as $5 a month, you can get our entire back catalogue. There's lots of episodes there. Over 100 episodes are available on the Patreon page. Plus, you'll get bonus material and 
On some tiers, you'll get monthly video calls with Amanda and myself. Hope you can join us. They're a lot of fun. We talk true crime, entertainment, and so much more. They go on a lot of weird tangents, don't they, Amanda? <laughs> they certainly do, and it's, it's amazing sometimes where we go today. We, we had one just before we did this recording, and we chatted about things like Disney. We chatted about the election. And the deaths at Disney. And the deaths at Disney, which we were told we shouldn't probably talk about. And just a lots of different conversations that we have. And we did do a lot on True Crime as well. We talked about documentaries that are out, what I've been watching recently, and just sort of talking about what's coming up in the cases that I'm currently working on. So it's always good to have those sort of chats and, and let people in and see, see what's behind the curtain. Absolutely. So don't forget, for more of that, go to patreon.com slash mwmconfessions. We'll be right back. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Shocking celebrity secrets. Justin Bieber's word against mine. Backstage drama. All of a sudden, Dolly Parton walks into the room. And controversial opinions. I'm not saying she's been approached. I'm saying this is what I'm hearing is the crunching options. TV Black Box, the podcast where people who've worked in the TV industry spill their juiciest stories. Julie used to like to drink on set. TV Black Box, available in your favourite podcast feed. On July 18, 2010, Christy Abrahams called Triple O to report her six-year-old daughter, Kaisha, missing. Little Kaisha's face was splashed across Sydney news programs and newspapers, desperate to find the little girl. But then slowly the stories began to filter through. Kaisha had missed a lot of school while in kindergarten, her first year of school. There had also been talk of systematic abuse and neglect. So let's go through that Triple Zero recording as this is how we learn about the devastating case. Christy Abrahams called Triple O mid-morning of July 19, 2010. Hi, I've just gotten up and I went to the toilet and I that my front door was open and my daughter's not here. Okay, what's your address? It's Miss Dean, stroke 342, which is like Mount George. Okay. You just get the police on their way out there, okay? How old's your daughter? She's six. She's six? <laughs> Have you checked all the units? Okay, what's your name? Christy, I'm my mum. Okay, Christy, what's your last name? Abraham. Yeah, and what's your um, phone number there? Um, I don't, I've just got the mobile, I don't know the mobile number. Okay. What's your mobile? I don't know, I don't, I don't what's know. What's your daughter's name? Kaisha. What is it? Kaisha. Spell it. K-I-E-S-H-A. Yep. Abraham? Um, yeah, yes. And she's six? Yeah, she's six. Okay, so she, as far as you know, she would be in her pyjamas, or you don't know? Yes, she's in her pyjamas. Okay, so what time would you have last seen her last night? Um, I put her out of bed last night at quarter ten. Okay. And do you have any other family that live in the unit block? No. Any no. neighbours that she would talk to? No. No. And it runs off, what is that, Marina Street? Pardon? The corner street, there's Marina Street? Carwell. Okay. Has she ever done this before? No, 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 not really. Like, she looks at a window and shit, but no, I don't know. Is she tall, short, skinny? Tall, she's skinny, she's got blonde hair, blue eyes. Yep. <laughs> and what colour jammies did she have on last night? She had pink pyjamas and a purple jacket, a purple pumpkin patch jacket. So pink pyjamas and a purple jacket last night? Yes. So, Amanda, we've actually heard this call in our emergency call special, 
But she sounds devastated. Yeah, she sounds devastated. She sounds tired, you know. But this is not a person who's panicking about their missing child. This is someone who is putting on a performance. You know, she's not hyper alert. She's like, what, huh, the whole time. She's doing the crying like she knows she's supposed to, you know. But she's not saying, oh, my God, get someone here. Where's my daughter? Where's my daughter? Where's my daughter? She's calling to say she's missing. She goes, oh, I just woke up and she's not here. You know, the first thing you do, go downstairs, go, go to, you know, the auntie down the street. You'd, you'd sort of be out and about doing this sort of stuff and bashing on doors in, in the complex. Like she says, have you, you know, checked the other apartments? And she goes, no, I just got up. You know, so this is this is creating a um, scenario basically. It's not about, oh, my God, where's my daughter? I can't find her. This is about I've just woken up and she's not here. Surprise, surprise. I'm mourning. Yeah, it's interesting because we now we know that this woman killed her daughter. So what's interesting about this that I picked up was when asked a simple question, has she done this before? She didn't have a clear-cut answer for that. Oh, not really is what she said. You know, like, so what does that mean? You know, like, yeah. this changes the narrative of whether the police go into panic mode because if she hasn't done this before, this is new behaviour and not really is... And then you can see her try to cover... Oh, she's climbed out a window and shit, you know, like... Yeah, so she's, she's creating, as you said, a different storyline. She's not talking about that my child's been abducted. She's talking about her child's not here and, oh, well, she's she's skipped out before and, like, she's a six-year-old and there's mm. two other smaller babies in the, in the family. You know, it's, oh, yeah, well, she's done this before and, you know you know, we, we haven't called you then, but we're calling you this time. So that's your first alarm bell that, you know, she has escaped before through a window, um, you know, and she doesn't say if, if this window is currently open, you know, but this will actually be part of her her storyline. This is the story that, that she's going to put forward. So, you know, the police will discover the truth, but she's already creating um, what could have happened rather than saying, where's my daughter? She's, she's in the future. She's not in the present. Mm, absolutely. Let's go back to the rest of the call. I've just let the police know. We've got police. We've got everybody on their way out to see you, okay? <laughs> and she's never done this. Right, like she gets up and plays like in the middle of the night. She looks at I'm a corner out of her window before we went over, but I don't, I don't, think, I don't know. Yeah. Okay. And do you, is it just the two of you that live there? I've got a two-year-old and a three-week-old baby. And are they still there? Yeah, they're still here. They're still there? Yes. And have they seen the two-year-old? Did they, have they, have you quizzed the two-year-old? Can your two-year-old speak? Yeah. No, she was in, she was in bed. I just got up with me as well. We've all just gotten up. Okay. So the two and the three-week-old are still there? Yes. And like, the, the kid's father, he, he, like he's, he, he's here as well. He's there he's as well? looking for her. Okay. <laughs> All right. Now, Christy, we have got everybody on their way out there. <laughs> so he's out yelling the streets for us? Yeah, he's gone looking for her. So that's your ex-partner, is that right? Yes, that's the kid's father, yes. What's his name? Robert. Robert? Yeah, Robert. Robert who? Smith. Okay. And you've looked in all the cupboards. Yes, he's not here. I looked everywhere. Do you have any birthmarks on her? Um, she's only got like a little one on her stomach. I've got one in the same place as well. Ears pierced? Yes, but she hasn't got no earrings in. Okay. 
All right, Christy. Well, I'm going to hang up. We've got police on their way there yeah. now. Right. If you hear anything before we get there, you call us straight back. I will. Okay, otherwise we'll be there as soon as possible, okay? Yes. Yeah. All right, then we'll see you soon. Thank you. Bye. It's interesting, Amanda. If my kids went missing, I would be panicked for sure. I wouldn't assume they'd been abducted. You know, I would assume one of them walked out the door and that it's a matter of finding them. Mm-hmm. The wailing doesn't seem believable to me. No, it doesn't. You know, um, when we did the Triple O special, uh, we also did the William Tyrrell case. And now she rung and said, you know, I'm probably being stupid, but but we can't find him. He's got to be here somewhere. We, we're back onto bushlands. Mm. You know, I just I feel dumb for calling, but I'm ringing you. Yeah. This is a call of someone knowing what's happened. So this isn't about someone who's, oh, my God, my you know, I'm frantic, my child's left the house she's done this before we found her last time you know but i just can't find her this time no it's that's like, it oh, my fear would up. be that i'm wasting police resources yeah yeah because you know that they've just they've gone next door because they followed the cat there or something yeah. you know this is what you would normally assume uh, a child abduction is very rare i mean we mm. hear about the cases because they are so rare that they become big news so you know the fact that she's but is know, it your first go-to that you think your child's been abducted anyway you know like my assumption would be Bloody hell, she's gone out the door. You yeah. know, like you know, and you'd and you'd say, oh, I've I've been looking for an hour. You know, yeah, you know, absolutely. Like, you know, even the William yeah, Tyrrell she's case. Got no time. She's got yeah, she's got no timeline here. No, no. Oh, I just woke up. My daughter's not here. I'm ringing you, and I'm hysterically crying. We, already. But we've we've checked the house. But hang on, what did you just wake up? Have you checked the house? You know, like yeah, yeah. There is something you know, else, isn't there? That's worth knowing that didn't come out until the trial. Yes, and, you know, we've just talked about there being no timeline that she's just woken up and her daughter is missing. This call was actually made two weeks after Koyesha had been murdered. So Amazing. they had been preparing for this to create this phone call, to to have this scenario happen that she's escaped through a window or something for two weeks. It's amazing how you can sit on that for two weeks is one, but how... You can get away with hiding a child for two weeks, not seeing anyone. It's it's quite bizarre to me. So we now have a missing child. It becomes front page news. So let's begin the analysis of Christy and Robert Smith, her partner. They're at a media interview two days after she'd been reported missing. Amanda, describe the scene for us. Okay, well, we have Christy with her head bowed and she's wearing really, really dark black sunglasses. You know, she's absolutely wailing like we just heard. But her hair is immaculate. She's dressed all in black. And, of course, she has a tissue up to her nose and mouth. And, guys, we know what to look for. That tissue is dry. Mm. The fact that she's crying, there's no tears. So, And Robert is actually beside her. He has a beautiful mullet hairstyle, which is quite typical of that area. And he's wearing a white baseball cap. Yeah, he should be in jail just for that. <laughs> and he's also wearing a white jumper. So she's all in black, he's all in white. You know, And they are literally surrounded by reporters. They are basically in this tight scrum with all these microphones up at their face. But Christy has her head down, wailing during all of this. Let's have a listen. Perhaps, Robert, do you want to speak on behalf of Christy? What would you like to say, mate? Uh, If there's anyone out there that knows or seen anything, just come forward. Contact the police. What have the last three days? It really help. Rob, do you want to talk us through the last time you saw Kaisha? Last time I saw her was just watching a movie together, you know. Anyone, someone must know something. Please come forward. What kind of personality does she have? She's beautiful, you know, funny, always happy. Was that on Saturday that you were watching a movie? The last movie we watched was The Golden Compass. Rob, how have the past 48 hours been for you and Christy? Can't describe how it's been. You don't know until you put yourself in my shoes. It's an interesting comment to end up on from an interview from Seven News reporter Robert Avadia. 
you don't know until you've put yourself in my shoes. Yeah, so there's a range of emotions going on there, you know. He continues to pat Christy the whole time he's talking um, and I'm a non-hugger and a non-toucher, so that sort of gets <laughs> my I, – I get goosebumps because it just freaks me out, you know, but he shakes his head continuously during all of this, you know. He doesn't look up once at any of the cameras that, that are watching. He has his eyes on Christy the whole time, does not take his eyes off her, you know, but he knows he's in a world of shit and I would love to have taken his blood pressure during that because he has to do the best acting job of his life, you know, oh, we sat and watched The Golden Compass and she's a bright little kid and, you know, all this sort of um, vague statements he makes, you know, and the fact that they actually keep saying to him how was those last two days, when was the last time you saw her, these, these are trigger questions that can emit responses but he's trying to uh, downplay it and just take just keep his eyes on Christy the whole time. He's not looking up. He's not going to um, sort of link with, with with the cameras or the people talking to him. They need to sort of keep their emotions in check and, and keep this tight group that's happening. It's interesting, Amanda. Um, he actually comes across as believable to me. You know, I can see the newsrooms around Australia watching this and they, all the chiefs of staff and the hardened <laughs> reporters who've seen this many times would say, oh, the mum did it. The bigger the tears, the more noise, they always point to that person. Because he is reserved at this stage, I would have been believing he doesn't know the truth. I've yeah. got to say, but you picked up something during that last little section. Yep, you got to hear it. So if we can play that little last bit again, because yeah. I want you to see if Yo can pick up what I did. Okay. Well, how have the past 48 hours been for you and Christy? Can't describe how it's been. You don't know until you put yourself in my shoes. No, got no idea. <laughs> Christy stops crying to listen to his answer. So she's doing the wailing, 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 and then she goes quiet because she can't wail and listen to what he's saying at the same time. So, you know, she's she's doing these big emotions, but this is what happens. This is something that people can do with their kids. If if your kids are having a tantrum or complaining of tummy pains or something like that you don't believe are true, if you take away their focus on that and talk about something else or say something quiet to them, they stop what they're doing to listen. Hang on, I'm going to play that clip again. Well, how have the past 48 hours been for you and Christy? Can't describe how it's been. You don't know until you put yourself in my shoes. She does. She's about to go on a big whale and then she stopped. Yeah, because she needs to hear what he has to say because she has been going for two weeks at him how they're going to play this out. And so she's now directing him but she can't focus on being the wailing mother and listen to the conversation that's happening at the same time. So, you know, people that have been in that, like, you know, I, I, I know I use my husband's death as, as an example often, but I screamed the whole time, just did not stop screaming. And I didn't care what other people were saying and I didn't care what the triple O person was asking me and all of this. I didn't care. I was screaming. Um, and, you know, I know that people were talking to me, but I didn't care. I was I was in that moment. She's not in, in, in that moment. This is mm. all for the cameras. We have a dry tissue. We have glasses hiding the non-red eyes, um, you know, because we can't ruin the black eyeliner that she wears constantly. And it, we, we're seeing her making sure that he says the same thing. Had he started to say the wrong thing, she, she would have wailed louder. She would have turned the response away from what he was saying if he was going down the wrong track. But because he kept it vague, because he sort of says, well, put yourself in my shoes. Don't put yourself in, in my child's shoes. Oh, my God, where is she? And he's not the biological father of, of Kaisha. We should point that out too. Um, but she has given him the, the, the saying. She's told him what we have to mm. say, um, you know, and so then she can put on the performance and he can do the talking. But she can't make sure it's right if she can't hear it. All right, well, Smith continues with his statement. Just hope that she's found as soon as possible. That's what we need. Safe how, and well. How hard is it for you the longer this goes? It gets harder by the minute. <laughs> Rob, we've all seen such beautiful pictures. Um, can you tell us a little bit about her, what she's like? You know, what parents you really like about her? She's always happy, bubbly, you know, 
love playing, you know, just like any kid would. Now, see, this is interesting, Amanda, because your take and my take is very different. Yep. Your take is right, as we now know in <laughs> hindsight. But I would take his reservation as someone in shock. But you're taking this that he's not upset, he's got no concerns. Yeah, it's not coming from the heart, you know. There's no anger at whoever took her. He's not giving blame. Like, he's not saying, you know, whoever's got her, bring her back. You know, no one's saying, um, you know, I will hunt you down and find you. You know, I will get my daughter back. There's none of that resolve, you know. He's not Liam Neeson, though. Well, I know that. (laughs) (laughs) I'll never understand Liam Neeson as an action hero. I see him in, in all those romance romance comedies sort of things. I just can't see him as an action hero. But that's totally different conversation. Talk about a tangent. I know, sorry. <laughs> I, I saw him in a new film the other, other day and I just can't get him as an action hero. But anyway, um, you know, but there's no specifics that Robert Smith gives about Kaisha. So there's nothing about, you know, she, she loves Disney, Disney princesses. She loves doing this. She loves doing that. It's, you know, um, she likes to play and she's happy. This isn't a child that's loved, you know. Um, You were talking about the weird giggle that she has or, you know, she has a bumblefoot, you know, all of these things that you would say, you know, there's none of that that's happening. There's no personal details. There's a distance and a disconnect. There's, And I know he's not the biological father, like I just said, but um, he has been raising her for quite some time and there's, there's none of that and there could have been at the start, but we're talking two weeks later now and they now have to play this story out because they would have spent those two weeks deciding what story they were going to do. And so now that it's playing, he's now become the mouthpiece because Christy's going to play the grieving mother, not the worried mother, not the scared mother, the grieving mother. I think that's a really important distinction. Um, They are asked a tough question that changes the interview. Have a listen to this. Do you have any idea that anyone who you might know who may have taken Christy, does the family obviously thought about, long and hard about this, does anyone have any idea? I have no idea. If I had any idea, we'd be there looking. The police have expressed hope. Obviously everyone is hopeful and that's one thing you've got to uh, hold on to. We definitely... Now that was Damien Ryan from Nine News. And I've worked with Damien. I've worked with Rob at Seven News as well. And there's no doubt in my mind <laughs> there are some suspicions here. I picked some good clips, didn't I? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Well, of course that they're suspicious. I mean, I know that they're in an area that's a poor, it's a low socioeconomic area, that there's a lot of government housing around there. There's crimes and drugs and domestic violence around there. It's, you know, it's, I'm, I'm not going to sugarcoat the area and there is some lovely people who live there and I have friends who live there, but, you know, it's it's that side of, of the tracks, you know, but little girls don't go missing, you know, unless there's something going on. So this is why the media loves these in, interviews and, as you said, he's 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 right on this. He knows what's happening, you know, and they do this. So they, they do these recordings and we've seen it that there's another case in Sydney of Seth Gonzalez who did the same thing and that he was the front page of The Telegraph um, weeping over his parents and sisters' graves, and then we find out later that he was the killer. They love all of this because then they can replay it later and we can analyse it and say, this is what's happening, this is why she's crying, this is why she's doing this, this is why the tissue's dry. So it's great that we have these. Yes, if someone had the child, it's very important to get these um, things out, but this is not how they usually play out. We usually have a police... Uh, press conference, they sit behind the the table, they do it more formal, but this is just, you know, haphazard in the street. There's about 20 reporters standing around them and they are playing out this this scenario and they're not smart enough. And so these journalists are jumping on this because they know, and this is why they're, they're trying to throw in questions that say, is it someone you know that might have taken her to see how they respond? And, you know, he, he doesn't know how to answer that. And so he sort of almost becomes combative with his, his response, saying, no, definitely not. But, you know. You know, the police sometimes also get journalists to ask outrageous questions. <laughs> there was a journalist in Melbourne. It was um, Boris Rostevsky yep. who was doing a presser very much like this. And a Channel 7 news reporter asked him the question, did you kill your wife? 
and he copped a lot of flack, but there are suggestions the police asked him to ask that question to see what his response would be. And because the guy was a suspect and ultimately was found guilty of killing his wife. So the police, it's been suggested, asked this reporter to push it along and just give them that little bit of extra insight as to whether this was their man. Exactly, because when you're questioning a suspect, you only have a certain amount of time, there's a certain amount of questions you can ask. You know, they can ask for a lawyer, they can shut down everything. So the freedom of the press sometimes can be used as a weapon like it was there. It was able to allow um, the police to watch how he would respond to a question, not in a formal setting. So to have... um, uh, Bo actually asked us the question, did you kill your wife? And Rostevsky sort of give this weird blank and then walk away. You know, that was a moment that, that could have completely changed the case. Had he, like, gone for the attack or denied it or anything, would have changed the direction of the investigation. But it sort of gave the police that prompt that they needed that, yeah, he's the one we should be watching for. And, you know, the, this is where more cases actually start from. Everyone sort of thinks that the families are hounded, but they always have to start with concentric circles. You start with a close family, then, you know, the neighbours, the friends, that you know, mm. and extends out from there. Stranger killings are quite rare. So um, we do start close to home. And the Rostefsky case, yeah, it's exactly like this one in that, you know, the, these people are fronting the media and it's almost a trial by press and sometimes that can have a hindrance to a case, but it often can help as well. Yeah. Look, moving back to this case, and Christie's father steps in. Now, look, he'll be an important part later in the story, but here he is now addressing the media. I'm, I'm Christie's father. Yeah. Um, I actually first saw it on um, the 6 o'clock news on, on Sunday afternoon. I'm actually from Canberra, and I, um, I came straight up from Canberra on Sunday afternoon, straight after news, and um, I've been in the, you know, like, Five to six here, um, and I'm just happy, you know, with my daughter, to put her. You know, um, she's. I've asked her, you know, what sort of what happened, and um, she's just told me that um, Aisha, at the units where she lives, that there's always all these stray cats, and um, she likes playing with them. And so, Amanda. This is very different to what we've heard so far. Yeah, well, I mean, as I said before, Robert's response to describe Kaisha was very generic, you know, happy, love to play, you know, but here's the grandfather who lives interstate and actually knows more about his granddaughter than her, her parents do, you know, and he literally just said, I found out on the six o'clock news and come straight home, you know, and it's quite interesting there that, you know, he seems to be more concerned than than the parents are, you know, that he is, is giving out this beautiful description of his, his granddaughter that is missing from her parents. Hmm. Interesting that he had to find out from the 6 o'clock news that his granddaughter was missing, but there you go. Hey, the interview ends with a plea that actually needed a prompt to be given. Christy, you know, in, this is what she told me, that she thinks that Tokai should have just gone up and gone out and went to the case. Mm. And um, I think someone got it from there. Yeah. That's all I know. And if they do, and they're listening. And see, if they do, if someone has got her, um, give it back or just contact the police. Thank you. Interesting. Christy's there. There's no wailing. Does this come back again that she's stopped crying to listen to what's being said? Yeah, that's exactly what's happening. She's worried because her father's just stepped in and he wasn't prepared by her storyline that that she'd given her yeah her he partner. hasn't been yeah so pre- she is silent absolutely silent because she has no idea what he's going to say and he could be a loose cannon he he could have mm. said oh well she rarely goes to school oh she's been belted by her mother before mm. you know there's all these other things that could have happened um that she wasn't aware of so she is dead silent there she's not even breathing because she needs to listen to what he is saying. As part of the investigation, Christie was interviewed at the local Blacktown police station as they tried to work out the details on how the young girl had gone missing. Now, this interview took place on September 1, 2010. Kaisha had been missing for a little under three months 
as always, Amanda, set the scene for us. Okay, well, this one's actually quite interesting, and this is where we differ from our US counterparts. The camera is very, very tight, so it's sitting at the end of a table. On both sides of the table are the two detectives, and Christy's sitting at the end end of the table, so she's, like, centre shot, and the camera is facing her, you know, but all of them are really, really sort of tight and closed in. I think they sort of, like, use a fisheye lens or something. It's, it's quite interesting how we film them in Australia. You know, again, her black hair is, you know, well-groomed. She's got her sunglasses on top of her head. She's in hot pink and black striped tops, and she's got her hands crossed on the table in front of her, and she spends most of the interview... Uh, staring down the camera so she's mm. like making sure that it's it's getting every single emotion she's giving well the officers begin trying to get a timeline together is that how you put her to bed that night like that no i put the blanket over her okay does she normally kick the blankets out when she's asleep yeah because she sweats okay so when the police found the bed just simply like that that was that unusual to find it like that, simply fold it back nicely? Well, it was unusual like not to see her in the bed. Yeah, I understand that, but I'm just saying that the neatness of the bed. She seems to have a bit of an attitude here. I know. So she's being very combative and she's completely uncooperative. You know, she has her chin in her hands and she's just staring at the camera. She's not engaged. So she's making these smart-ass comments and she's really not interested in being there, you know. We have to remember that she's saying that her six-year-old daughter usually kicks the blankets off in July, which is full winter here and cold in Blacktown, and she's saying that she would normally kick off the blankets. Now, the blankets, the officer actually sort of shows it on, on a piece of paper with, with a large piece of paper off sort of to a slant on, on the side. Apparently that's how it was left after Kaisha disappeared from her bed. That's actually not what happens and we'll hear that. But, um, you know, he's, he's sort of saying that the bed looks immaculate, you know, but, but you're saying that she slept in this bed and, you know, it's just all of this sort of she, mm. she's trying to sort of shut them down by saying uh, she wants them to say you're a suspect but they aren't going to say that and so she's trying to bait them but they're a lot smarter than she is and, you know, it just plays out quite differently. Well, the officer continues trying to get her to give some sort of decent response. Would she normally keep a nice neat room? Well, she makes a bed every morning. OK. And the shoes were neat, so bedroom's generally tidy, is it? Yes, because I clean it. I can't get over the attitude. They are trying to help her. Like the the, the official theory here is that she is a grieving mum. Her daughter's been missing for three months. She's being brought in for questioning to help them get to solve the case, and she is in defence mode, but being aggressive. Yeah, you know, she, she doesn't want to be in that room. And so she's probably likely showing this anger purely because she's probably in absolute terror. Like her heart would be pumping in her chest because yeah. she, one wrong word and they have her. So she's actually making it all about her. If she doesn't refer to Kaisha as a mother would, especially a mother who is terrified about where her daughter currently is, you know, but she's saying, you know, well, I made the bed, you know, I, I make the children do this, I I clean a room, of course it's going to be neat and tidy because I'm a neat and tidy person, she's not. But anyway, um, you know, but, but this is just an important fact later that will come up. But she's trying to um, have this sort of happy Brady Bunch vibes going on and yet the actual case is so much uglier and she is just giving this attitude and she somehow thinks this is going to help her? Mm. Well, they continue to try and put together the timeline. They're still trying to put together this timeline, which is obviously difficult because it's just not true. Are we talking about the park around here, Woodstock? Yes, right next door. Right next door. Yes. Okay, so for Robert to end up in Westville at Mount Druitt, is that unusual? What do you mean? Well, Robert's when he's left to a unit... He's gone into Westfield, all the way to Westfield, and looked inside Westfield. Oh, he's Westfield. looked all the way where we walked down to Westfields. Yeah, but you don't take it to the shops. I do. I've, got... no, I've been through a whole week of her life, and she hasn't left the unit. So what are you trying to say? No, what I'm trying to say is, why did he end up down in Mount Druitt Shopping Centre? But he's look, he looked all the all around and to go to Mount Druitt. Yeah, but what I'm saying is that you don't take her shopping. Why would she go there? She's never been there, has she? She has. Maybe not the the week that you're talking about. Oh, you know what? This is over, seriously, because what are you trying to get at? All right, I'll move on. What I'm saying is, I'm saying that, Robert, why did he go to Westfield? That's all I'm asking. It's a simple so have question. a look. You would have seen. You would have got the CT. That's a, that's a long, no, it's a long way from where you are. She's trying to shut that down. This is over. 
Yeah. Like she has a choice. She's she's pissed, you know, and she knows she's under suspicion and it's very obvious, but she's pl- trying to play it down, you know, like how dare you question me. Um, but why she's so powerful here and why she's doing this is because him going to Westfields is actually in the opposite direction to where they buried her. So... You know, so this is a moment that she has a win because she thinks they're on the wrong track. So nah. that's why she's just saying, "Yeah, fuck you all, sorry, um, stuff you all. I'm, I'm, I'm not playing this game. I'm over because you, you're throwing out suspicions which are actually incorrect." So that's why she's a bit more powerful there. Well, they return to how Kaisha went missing. Was she in the pajamas at the time, or was she about to get into the bath, or you don't know? No, it's in the morning. In the morning. Had she changed from her pajamas, or was she still in her pajamas? Let's say. What? When she cut her head. No, she would have been. She was out, Would have been getting dried. Oh, so, so she, she would have had, had nothing on. Okay, so she had. A, she's having showers. So the, the the kids have showers in the morning. Do they? The, the well, children. Morning and night, whenever. Mm-hmm. Okay. Hmm. Now one of the officers asks an important question, but Christy continues her attitude. Would there be any reason why there'd be more blood, not just in her unit, but throughout the unit? What are you trying to say? I'm just saying that when we forensically examine the unit, there's a there's a amount of Kirsch's blood throughout the unit. And I'm just trying to ask you know. ask you how that would have got there. I don't know. No? Okay. She really doesn't have the answers, does she? No, you know, and if you were innocent, you would say so. You would try and deny it, you know, but we've got her saying, why would you say that? She's not responding to these questions. She's, you know, just saying, I don't know, you know, because it does help her narrative to just sort of say, I'm I'm oblivious, you know, you're barking up the wrong tree, you know, but we know and we find out later that Kaisha was actually beaten quite a lot in in her short time Mm. of birth. This This was not... Um, an isolated incident. So, you know, it's horrifying to think that. And this would be when Kirsty, uh, when Christy realises that um, she's the number one suspect. Well, from the beginning, police were highly suspicious of Christy and Robert and a unique police investigation began. Now, when we did the case of the murder of Daniel Morecambe, remember a few seasons ago, they created an entire universe where killer Brett Cowan thought he was joining a violent gang and to prove himself had to confess to any crimes he'd committed. This was to let the big boss he met know that there were literally no skeletons in his closet that could bring heat later. At the time, little did Cohen know, but the big crime boss was actually an undercover detective and Cowan confessed how he had abducted, killed and dumped teenager Daniel Morecambe. That is a episode of Monsters Who Murder you really need to go and listen to because it has everything and the way they get him to confess is fascinating. But this time, police did do something similar. An undercover police officer was sent in to infiltrate the close group of Christy Abrahams' friends to see what could be learned about Kaisha's whereabouts and suspected death. Now, the ruse actually worked and Christy ended up asking this new best friend for advice and confessed that Kaisha was dead. This was on April 21, 2011. This is nine months after she had gone missing. Now, look, please note what we're about to hear and talk about is the graphic details of a child's murder. Amanda, set the scene for us. Okay, well, this one's actually recorded through a tiny buttonhole camera, so it's placed somewhere in the room where Christy is sitting. So she's sitting at the kitchen table. Um, she, she's got her hair now in a ponytail. Um, we can't see much of her body, but she's wearing like a tracksuit or something. Um, the officer is actually blurred out to hide their identity because obviously they did such a good job. We want to see them do this again. Um, you know, so it's quite interesting. It's in black and white, um, and obviously this camera had been set there just for this moment. Well, the friend, which is the undercover officer, asks about any injuries and blood. So is there, um, all I'm trying to say is that when she hit her head, was there any blood on her? Any blood? Doesn't matter. I'm not talking about pool, any blood at all on her or anywhere else that you, that you could see as a result of her falling down and hitting her head. No. Are you sure? I'm positive. Was she sitting up? Was she sitting up or was she lying down? No, she just felt like jelly. Felt like jelly? Yeah. Interesting. She's crying like she did in that first interview. 
yeah, she is, but she's actually crying about herself. This is not about Kaisha, you know. She has a fear about going to jail, you know, and she's literally having this conversation with this person purely because she believes that they might be able to help her hide her, her tracks and to avoid going to jail. You know, she confirms that there was no blood on Kaisha and she was like jelly. So she was literally floppy and there was no response. So she was not dead yet, but she was very close to it. Now, the undercover officer asks a few more details and Christy continues to describe Kaisha's last moments of life. It's really heartbreaking stuff. Was she breathing at this stage, you think? Yes, she is, but it's like, I don't know, it's just weird. She was still breathing. She was looking at her, I told her to squeeze my finger. She could squeeze my finger. So Kaisha was alive, but not really. Do we actually know how she died, Amanda? No, there's actually um, no clinical outcome to how she actually died, but they know that she died at her mother's hands. So um, this is purely because of the condition of how her body was found, and we'll go into that later. Um, you know, but this was likely due to the abuse that she suffered at, suffered at Christie's hands. So she um, had extensive head injuries um so christy actually says that she hit her head and fell down um but more likely she was beaten and suffered a traumatic head injury Mm. well christy continues her confession to the person she thinks is a close friend on the phone out like a little phone out lounge Uh, in her room or your room mine yeah so i could just watch her yes but i fell asleep when we woke up in the morning she was just She was just for Okay, so her daughter is unresponsive and she puts her on a fold-out lounge in her room to watch her but falls asleep. Yeah, I mean the anger when I heard this the first time and even now listening to this the second time, um, it's making my blood boil, you know. So there's a lot actually legally that's going on in this statement. So one, she has abused her daughter. Two, she's failed to get her any medical attention. And three, let her die. So there's actually three steps in this case that has actually just occurred with just those couple of words. Mm. Um, You know, this is a girl in her last throes of life. She's breathing weird, which is just her gasping for breath. Her functions and and capacity is actually shutting down. So she's not um, at a place where her body can actually help herself. She needs um, external help. Um, She'd, uh, Christy had actually put her into a shower a cold shower to try and wake her up and sort of stun her awake. That didn't work. You know, so whilst her little girl, her six-year-old daughter, is dying, she puts her on a couch in her room and falls asleep. I mean, this is how much concern she had for her. She fell asleep and, you know, whatever uh, Kaisha went through in in those last moments were missed by the person who should have been looking after her the most. Mm. Well, the undercover officer continues with the questions. (laughs) Then what happened? Then, I don't know, um, we didn't know what to do, so, um, so we went to the garage. And I was put from the suitcase. Who went down the garage? Like, we both went down there. I could see us because, like, the neighbours aren't home, like, they work, or they keep to themselves. What time of morning was this, buddy? Um... It's interesting. She's sobbing. But when he's asking questions like, and then what happened, he sounds angry. As you can imagine, we are all feeling. It's really hard to have to sit through this. Um, it is extremely hard, and 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 this officer. I mean, we're, we're using the he pronoun here, but I think the voice has been um, altered, so it could be he or she. We don't actually know, but you know, imagine sitting there like the Daniel Morecambe case and um, hearing this confession and hoping that the recording is happening, mm. hoping that the camera is 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 getting it all. You know, making sure that she, she's not drunk or or under the, under any influence of drugs. You know, um, that she might sort of 
clue on to him asking these questions because these are very matter-of-fact questions. This is actually a snippet of, of her larger confession, obviously we're only given small bits of it, but we can see that um, he's asking the right questions without sounding like a friend but at the same time he's trying to sound like a friend. Yeah, and this I'm is confused the moment. because he doesn't actually sound as sympathetic as someone you're confessing to a friend might sound, but he, this person is getting the, the answers and getting the confession, so hats off to them. But yeah, it's amazing. It's, it's, I'm, I'm intrigued by it. Yeah, it's it's very interesting and how this plays out and how they sort of have to ask the question. So as I said, you know, when when he says, and then what happened, that's probably halfway through a longer conversation where she's going through it, going through it, going through it. But we're just getting the, the, the matter of fact parts of this because this is truly powerful without all of the wailing and moaning that she's done prior to this, um, which would have been too, too hard to hear, but sort of plays the scene out for the actual court case. But but she did stop that wailing as she talked about the suitcase. Yeah, it seems to be very easy for her to switch it on and off. So, you know, she literally talks normally and then wails, then talks normally. So when she's describing going down to get the suitcase, that's um, sort of a matter-of-fact part of this and the truth. So that is easy to just sort of say normally because she doesn't know how to respond to that because that is is part of the narrative that actually plays out correctly. So when she's lying, she does all this wailing. So it's quite interesting to, to see when and how mm. she does that. Well, Robert and Christy then put her lifeless body into the suitcase. And we went, went down, got it, come up and then lost her in the suitcase and put her in, so put her in a room and in the suitcase just shut the door. You know, they were thinking pretty straight on how to avoid being caught, even at this stage, Amanda. Yeah, they are. So, you know, they made sure that no one saw them when they went and got the suitcase. I mean, someone carrying around a suitcase, I don't think people would, would care, but they knew that they couldn't be seen because someone would say, oh, I saw them bring in a mm. suitcase. Um, so they're already planning that they were going to conceal this and it takes them two, two weeks to actually get to that point. Well, there is a 16-second cut in the tape and when it comes back, Christy is talking about their next part of the plan. Then what's happened? And then uh, Rob's, like, you know, riding around. You want to know a trail bike riding around? No, I've got a push bike, yeah. you got a push bike from somewhere like down the road. Yeah. To dig out a hole. Oh, right. Yes, because he was worried about us. Okay. Did he get a shovel from your house? Did he do it all himself? Did he get help from anyone else? No, you got a hammer. Go ahead. Did he get a hammer? He was gone for ages. So Robert went and dug a hole with a hammer. Yeah, when she said he got a hammer, my, my stomach sort of jumped um you know i thought oh my god that they they're going to do horrible things to the body but they don't he uses a hammer to go and dig a hole so um i've actually sort of mapped this and and all of that on google maps um it's just a couple of streets over they sort of went through a laneway through um a sort of football field play area sort of thing and in, into the bushland just up it, um in sharply i think it's called i could have got that wrong um and just just near a telegraph tower he just sort of dug this quite pathetically shallow hole with a hammer after after riding there on his push bike. Okay, well the tape ends talking about the burying of Kaisha. What? So okay, so you left home with what a push bike or no? He went, found someone's push bike. He went, yeah, he went. Found someone's push bike. Maybe you did you leave home with a shovel or you just no, nothing? For, nothing. You just went and scoped it out. Okay, so he's right, ridden a push bike out to the bushland. And we're taking him right. No one else helped you. No, no. Except the taxi driver driving us there. We didn't know anything. So from your, how did you get from? So the taxi driver took you from your unit to that place where you then near Shelby, where you then went in the bushland and buried her with a suitcase. Yeah. So you had her at one stage with a suitcase in a taxi. So they take a taxi with the body in a suitcase to where Robert had dug the hole. 
Yeah, and this would actually help police later with, with the timeline, you know, because that, that, that the taxi would come forward and everything. Um, but amazing with all of this evidence, it actually takes them a few more days before they decide to act on all this information that uh, Christy has just given the undercover police officer. Yeah, that's right. Everything she told the undercover officer was about to explode and it occurred on the little girl's birthday. The pair decided to go and visit her gravesite at 1am in the morning, but when they returned to the street, the police were waiting to arrest them. Now, I can't even begin to describe how big this was, this news in Australia at the time. So much so, Channel 10 devoted the first five minutes of its news service to the news. Human remains found in several locations in bushland in Sydney's west are believed to be missing girl Kaisha Abrahams, who disappeared from her Mount Druitt home nine months ago. Police have charged her mother and stepfather with murder after arresting them in the early hours of the morning. 10's Evan Batten joins us now from Mount Druitt. Evan, all of this would have been on what would have been Kaisha's seventh birthday. Today really has been a, a display of so much grief and anger, uh, particularly here at this unit complex, which has become the focal point for so much of the community since Kaisha dis disappeared uh, nine months ago now. Um, certainly tonight, as a large crowd gathers behind me for what would have been a vigil to mark her seventh birthday, that gathering is taking on a, a very different tone, a lot more serious. And even though those remains that have been found in bushland not very far from here at all are yet to be identified, people already are starting to talk about planning for Kaisha's funeral. Charged with murdering their six-year-old girl, Kaisha's mother, Christy Abrahams, and stepfather, Robert Smith, were taken to court this morning, left in no doubt about the community's rage. They were arrested in this Shalvey laneway after walking through a reserve leading into dense bushland just after midnight. A short time later, in the early hours of what was supposed to be one of Kaisha's happiest days, detectives found a grave. Skeletal remains found scattered around the reserve, popular with trail bike riders. An autopsy will be carried out on Monday to determine whether the remains are those of Kaisha, who would have turned seven today. Smith's father says he understands people's anger, but wants to hear the evidence at court before making up his mind. You've got to believe that your own son couldn't have a part in this, so yeah, that's what I want to believe. Jim Taupout was like a step-grandfather to Kaisha and played with her often. I miss her so much. In their last public interview, Abrahams and Smith told 10 News they still believe she might have been alive, making an appeal directly to the six-year-old to come home. We all love her and we all miss her and if she can hear or see it, get to a phone or ring the police. We want her to come back safely. Do anything in your power to please come back home. They'd kept her Christmas presents and other toys ready in a spare room, waiting for her to come home, even showing some of the gifts they'd hung on to from the memorial set up at the old unit. It's been very arduous and very long investigation and something that um, I'm proud of the efforts of the police that worked on this case. And uh, we had tremendous community support all along the way. And I think uh, it was simply the case that we never wanted to give up on this matter. Today, the couple chose not to appear on video link as the matter was heard at Parramatta Local Court. Their lawyer told the court they were too distraught. Police say the area where the remains were found is so extensive they'll be processing it for days. Evan Batten. 10 News. You know, Amanda, that news service then went into a second report which focused on the reaction of the community. People were very angry, weren't they? Yes, and a lot of these people were there from the beginning. There was uh, people from, from the apartment complex that were there from the start, you know, where's Kayesha? They were doing vigils, they were doing searches and everything, and they supported this couple as grieving parents, mm. you know, and so when they found out that all of that was a lie and that she had died at their hands, that sort of manifested as, as this anger and there was a, a few people that sort of went to trial every single day. A lot of them were interviewed and they would go on and on and on about how angry they were because not only um, were they upset that they weren't able to protect her but the fact that these parents played this ruse for so long for nine months it just sort of it, it sort of destroyed them and there was trust issues and there was all this stuff and they were begging for the death penalty and everything like this because even with this then there was more news that come um 
to the forefront as well that uh, Christy had lost another child who died from SIDS. Now we've covered cases with a sudden infant mm. death syndrome before. So there was another investigation that went into uh, her, her son's death. So, you know, we don't know if, if there was more to that case, but um, it sort of was shut down by how she um, ended the, the court case. And we know the remains found were, in fact, Kaisha's and there were more disturbing details to come about her death, weren't there? Yeah, there were. So um, not only had they sort of taken her out in the suitcase, but they had then covered her with branches and then set it all on fire. So they had tried to destroy the evidence, which is why they couldn't actually come up with a specific cause of death, purely because uh, the charring of the fire had actually sort of removed a lot of that evidence, unfortunately. Right. Okay. Well, with both Smith and Abrahams charged with her death, it was then in court that further details of Christie's so-called mothering skills came up. This from Channel 10 News. Crown prosecutor Chris Maxwell told the court in the months before Abrahams committed the murder, she told her father, I'm sick of Kaisha because she'd been wetting the bed, adding, I really will hurt her, I will kill her. Wow. Amanda, so many people failed this little girl and those who should have loved her the most were those that ended her life. Now, during this trial, Christy Abrahams pleaded guilty to the murders of Kaisha and was sentenced to a minimum term of 16 years. Smith was sentenced to at least 12 years in jail for manslaughter by gross criminal negligence and accessory after the fact to murder. All appeals against their sentences have so far been denied. In a side note to this story, Kaisha's biological father, Chris Whippart, died in his sleep in November 2012. And in a side note to this story, Kaisha's biological father, Chris Whipper, died in his sleep in November 2012. Amanda, uh, a terrible case. It's always even worse when kids are involved, but a good case to cover because we need to know what's yeah. out there and the warning signs. When someone says, I'm going to kill my daughter, take it seriously. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And with the abuse and the absences from school and all of the evidence that was sort of mounting up, yeah, a lot of people failed this girl. And it, she's not the first and she won't be the last. But, um, mm. you know, the more we understand this sort of um, environment, the more that we can save these children. Absolutely. Thank you for that. We'll see you next week for another episode of Monsters Who Murder, Serial Killer Confessions. 